Greetings, everyone. It's nice to see you guys tonight. I love Grace Church. Really do. That's all right. You can clap for that. Um, but the, the simple fact of the matter is Grace Church without you is just a, it's just a building. Um, I, I love you folks, and I am glad to be in the kingdom of God with you and to be able to call you my brothers and sisters. And uh, that's, it's a special thing that we have here, and I am grateful and thankful for that. So we're glad you're here. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we're glad that you're with us tonight as well. And trust that all of you will be blessed uh, by what you hear at Grace Church tonight. I just want to give you a couple of announcements quickly, and I will get out of the way, and then the pastor will come. Uh, but first of all, we want to remind you, this coming Friday, there is a uh, youth rally at Life Point Church in Prairieville, and uh, that starts at 730 so if you have young people that want to go, or if you are a young person that wants to go, the church van will be leaving here at 6 o'clock. So if you would like to ride in the church van, make sure you're here before 6 o'clock. And we would also appreciate it, parents, if you would feed your young people before you bring them here and give them to Brother Mark and Sister Brianna. Um, with all of the things going on with COVID restrictions, uh, restaurant space will be tight. Just don't know what will be available and what uh, what we can do safely. So please make sure that they are fed and watered before you bring them here and put them on the church van. We greatly appreciate that. And then also, um, we are encouraging you to uh, pre-order your Valentine's Day chocolate-covered strawberries. Uh, not too many people have expressed interest yet, but we know you like them. So uh, please go by Grand Central and sign up if you're interested in some chocolate-covered strawberries and do it quickly. Amen. God bless you tonight, Grace Church. It's wonderful to be here. I'm looking forward to hearing what God has in store for us as Pastor comes. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Jason, and uh, great to see you as always. Uh, really thrilled to... Uh, be on campus tonight at Grace Church. Uh, I'm still excited about that and um, very, very excited to see uh, you here tonight. And uh, I've, I'm confident that you've come open uh, to the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me tonight. Uh, we need to go to the Lord in prayer uh, before we pursue Bible study tonight. Um, if you were at prayer last night, um, you know that we brought to you a couple of requests uh, for prayer, uh, one of them being uh, Cassie Fassbinder, uh, Marty's wife, was in very critical condition last night in intensive care, and he texted me this afternoon that said she has been released from the hospital. And uh, I think that's pretty amazing, pretty amazing, very thankful for that. He did request that we continue to pray for her, but obviously there had to have been pretty phenomenal improvement uh, for that to happen, and we, we are very thankful and give the Lord all the, all the credit and all the glory for that. But on the other hand, uh, we uh, requested prayer for Mike Tomlinson, his brother James and Sister Sarah's oldest son. Uh, 
He's in his early 50s and has been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, it's at different parts throughout his body. And they are desperate right now for a miracle. Uh, just really, really hungry and desperate for a miracle. And I want us to just go to the Lord one more time. I know we prayed last night, but I don't think you can pray too much. And I'd like for us to pray that God would just absolutely manifest his healing power, just that, that Mike would just be completely healed and restored. And I know God can do that with just one single touch, one single thought. Um, he don't have to show up with angels and bands and horns and trumpets. He can just think the thought and he would be healed. And I want us to pray for Mike and also I'd like for us to pray for Brother James, Sister Sarah and their other two kids are obviously very burdened by this, taking this very hard, very, it's very difficult. And uh, don't want anybody to lose sight of the fact that it doesn't matter how old your children are, they're still your children. And uh, I want us to pray for the Tomlinson family along with Mike tonight that God's complete, total, and perfect will will be done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight, everybody. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you tonight. We're coming to you with a heart full of confidence and faith. There's no doubt, no reservation in my mind concerning your power to move just tremendously in this situation. You can heal his body immediately, and we're confidently confident that you're going to do that. And I pray tonight, God, that you would minister to the Tomlinson family, to Brother James and Sister Sarah, to Byron and Christy. I pray, God, that you would put your arms around them, that they'd feel the power, the strength, and the encouragement of the Holy Ghost. I pray, God, that you would work in their minds and hearts to rely on you even more. We have confidence in doctors and medicine and all of that, but you're the ultimate, you're the ultimate physician. You're the greatest physician. And I pray tonight that you would intervene, that the work and power and the will of God would be made manifest. We ask it in Jesus' name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord some praise for hearing and answering prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank the Lord. Thank you. And you may be seated. We welcome um, our young folks in here tonight, as I like to call them. And I uh, always appreciate their attending our Bible study. Thank you, Brother Mark, for having them join us tonight. And uh, when Jason was asking how many loved Grace Church and you started clapping, I detected a little bit of, um, well, it's just young folk stuff. We'll just leave it right there. It's just We'll just call it young folk stuff. But um, I won't call any names, but um, there were some just right up here on the front, uh, tennis shoes. We'll just leave it right there. But anyway, <laughs> we love our young folks. I love to tease them and pick at them, even publicly. I think it's fun to do that. I want to uh, teach tonight a Bible study. I'll uh, be tonight and Lord willing next Wednesday. And then we'd like to launch into some uh, vision uh, Bible study, vision-related, vision-based Bible study. But I run about every two or three years when I teach this Bible study. It, it, it occurs about every two or three years. So those of you that's been with us from Baker uh, back in those days, uh, this will probably be the third, fourth, maybe fifth time you've heard this Bible study. But I think it's necessary. 
It's not because I don't have material, but I feel like this is incredibly necessary. As Grace Church is going to commence moving forward, uh, we're, we're launching more and more into repurposing our vision, getting it restored, and what have you, and I'm very, very excited about that. The Bible study I want to teach to, to you tonight came from Brother Tenney, and I give him complete and total credit and uh, for this material. I've done very little tweaking, very little tweaking with it. And, uh, but he taught it at, at camp meeting or, or district conference, I believe it was, at the campground a number of years ago. And it moved me so much that I called him and asked him, could I have his notes? And he said, absolutely. And uh, I mean, he sent them directly. It was just another day or two and they were in the mail. And I deeply appreciated that. He, he didn't have to do that. But I deeply appreciated it, and I love and cherish this Bible study for that reason. And other than that, it is so relevant, uh, it's so true, it is so beneficial, and I believe that we need to hear it tonight. I want to talk to you tonight just very simply about core values. Uh, core values. And there's people here tonight that has not heard this study, at least from me, and I'm very happy about that too. I want to talk to you tonight about what Grace Church is, what our attitude is, what our posture is, what our feelings are about a lot of things. And uh, some of you may understand, you may misunderstand, but if you hear me all the way through, I think you'll go away uh, tonight with very deep appreciation and very deep respect uh, for our presentation tonight. <clears throat> When I talk about core values, let me explain to you what core values means. Core values, first of all, means attitudes, attitudes and beliefs thought to uniquely pattern a culture. It's a basic framework that you can use to understand and analyze simple beliefs or rules about what your family your church or your company that you work for represents and how it practices. Operating uh, core values can be operating philosophies or principles that guide an organization's internal conduct as well as its relationship with the external world. Core values are usually summarized and the mission statement or the statement of core values of a church, even a family, or a corporation. Core values is a distinctive set of core beliefs by which we measure our priorities in life. Many of our core values did not originate with ourselves, but were given to us by others along the way. Core values show up in the form of life values. Core values determine how we live our life, how we set our priorities and ethics. Core values determine our level of character and decency. And before I begin to go deeper into core values, I want to make a very clear statement to Grace Church tonight that we are all, we all are a part of a movement. And a movement that is no longer moving, becomes a monument. 
We have to keep moving and stay vision updated. If we don't, the clock will replace the compass and we'll sit around discussing where we've been instead of where we're going. Some people make maps, some people print maps, and others explore new frontiers. And we are going somewhere with this church that it has never been before and to places in the church arena that the majority of even good church-going people will never go. But we're not going to do this at the expense of our values. I want everybody to understand that. We, we're a very visionary church. We like to move forward. We like to make plans. We know what we've all been through over the past year. Uh, but we're, we're resuming that. But we're not going to resume anything at the expense of our core values. I do not want our church to become a closed system. In a closed church, you cease ministry, uh, you cease ministry, and you start doing ministry. Uh, you cease ministry out of imagination, and you start doing it out of memory. You stop creating the future and start repeating the past. You stop leading, and you start managing. We must never stop thinking outside the box. We must continue to learn and read. People who want to become leaders are learners. And you read what you like and you don't like. You learn what God and the world are thinking. And you create an atmosphere where both can come together to accomplish genuine growth and revival. I want to give you a very silly, simple illustration. There were two fellows that lived next door to one another. And each of them had their own chicken yards complete with hens and roosters. One of these fellows, little boy, got a white football for Christmas and accidentally kicked it in the neighbor's chicken yard. The old rooster ran over and looked at it and gathered all the hens around it and said, Now, girls, I am not complaining, but I just want you to know what the competition is putting out. And I love that posture here at Grace Church. We have learned and gleaned from lots of places. We've been very open and we've been very transparent about that. Uh, our vision that you see in the lobby about know God, finding freedom, discover purpose, and making a difference, that did not come from an apostolic church. We are continually gleaning and learning and expanding from sources outside of the systems, the principles, the ideas that we're so accustomed to and comfortable with. We can learn, we can learn from a lot of sources, and we can cross-pollinate with a lot of different visions. We can, we can have thoughts and ideas, but not at the expense of our values. We have to be visionary, and it means to be visionary means sometimes being criticized. <laughs> Grace Church has been in that place for a long time. But vision usually means working from an unestablished comfort zone. Vision means working 
and operating from an unestablished comfort zone and people oftentimes feels insecure when this happens. The Reverend Oral Roberts was visited by Brother Tenney in the summer of 2009. And Brother Tenney asked him, how do you survive criticism? He said, number one, you listen to it and see if it is valid. Number two, you take it to God in prayer. Number three, you do not retaliate. The reason I mention this is because when you step out and do something fruitful for the kingdom, there will always be someone to either criticize or to try to diminish your effort. So in the process of trying to fulfill vision, you cannot sacrifice your values for progression, for growth, for numbers, for accomplishments. None of these things are ever a replacement for values. And as a church and as individual church members, we cannot diminish ourselves in the process of trying to build someone or something else up. The Bible teaches a principle here, and you have to be very careful when you are a visionary church because we've seen so many visionary churches end up in ruin, end up in defeat. But the Bible teaches that the first generation of visionary people generates vision. The second generation motivates it. The third generation speculates about it. And the fourth generation dissipates. It goes away. I've seen churches, I know of churches where this has happened. And it happens when people sacrifice their values. They replace their values with vision. But I say let's have vision and values. We've set out to prove that over the past eight to ten years. And I'm glad to say tonight that our, our values remain the same. With all the new things we've introduced, the culture we've created here, our values have not changed. As a matter of fact, I have said several times that there's a part of me that wants to set out to prove that you can be a very visionary moving forward church without sacrificing your values. But the Bible said in Deuteronomy 4.26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto you go over Jordan to possess it. Israel had the most phenomenal window of opportunity to possess Jordan or to cross Jordan and possess their promised land. But, but God said you shall soon utterly perish. Perish. The Bible one translation said, you will lose your freshness. When you inherit this promised land, you will have accomplished what you set out to do. So you lose freshness, you lose zeal, you lose passion. We cannot let that happen here. We cannot let that happen here. We've gained a lot of ground. We've accomplished a lot of things. But I still do not desire for Grace Church to lose its freshness, its culture, its warmth, its friendliness, its magnetism, its charisma, if you will. We still want to be able to attract families from every walk of life to this church. 
So we have to understand in the implementation of our values that power is not received when you receive the word, but power is received when you release it. Blessing is God pouring in. Power is when you release it. Power is not hearing the word. Power is when you release it. And we have to understand our vision, our whole point of our vision is to get out of ourselves and to minister to other people. And that's where the power is. That's where the power of God is demonstrated. So we must learn how to tap into the power of the book of Acts church and learn how to release apostolic power. I'm thankful to report to you tonight that over the past several Sundays, especially the last two Sundays, I have personally felt a release in the power of God and preaching the Word of God and hearing the Word of God preached and then seeing it manifest up here around these altar areas. So we must define what will not and cannot change as we move forward in our church vision. I will have you notice, and all of you know this, but I'll point it out, that the way we have come to conduct church services has changed. A single person standing behind the pulpit leading the singing has changed into a praise team of people. Does anybody remember the song leaders from times past? You could probably tell who that song leader was. The hymnal has been replaced, as Brother Tenney said so comically through the years. The hymnal has been replaced with off-the-wall songs. He used to call them 7-Eleven songs. He had seven words and you sang them 11 times. But prayer requests have been changed to sending them to a website or calling the church office or writing them down on a piece of paper. Testimony service has all but been terminated. And there's a reason for that. There's a good reason for that. It's because you cannot trust what people are going to get up and say in church. If we could trust it, we would have it. But this pastor has been burned too many times and you spend the next 10 minutes trying to get the congregation back on board with what's going on in church at night other than what the testimony person just said. So yes, methodology has changed in the way we have church. But I can't emphasize this enough. Our values can never change. So over the next two Wednesday nights, tonight and next Wednesday night, I want to talk to you about the three levels of values. There are three levels of values and we engage all three here at Grace Church. I think every church should. But number one is core values, number two is traditional values, and number three is personal values. In a very brief statement here tonight, I will share with you what our core values is. First and foremost, our first top core value is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We believe in one God. We believe in repentance. We believe in water, submersion in water. In the name of Jesus, for the remission of sin. We believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. 
with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Core values that can never change. We believe in the infallibility of the Bible. We believe in the fruit of the Spirit. We believe in holy and righteous living. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that heaven and hell is eternal, that they both exist and that they are eternal. We believe in the rapture. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in preaching the whole gospel to the whole world without prejudice. We believe in morality and decency. We believe in family and wholesomeness. These are a good representation, maybe not of all of our core values, but it represents them quite well. And I still commit to Grace Church tonight, as long as Glenn Murphy is pastor of this church, no matter where our vision takes us, our core values will never change. And everybody said amen. So your core values is determined and portrayed by your character and by your conduct. Core values determines who you are and reputation. It doesn't matter what you say. What matters is how you live. Core values determine your degree of honesty and integrity. And I believe it is an absolute necessity for everyone here to have core values for their home, for their family, and for your person. So for a few minutes tonight, I'll come back to core values. I'll conclude with core values next Wednesday night, Lord willing. But I would like to spend tonight talking about traditional values. I've asked that our young people join us tonight, and there's a big reason for that. But on the other hand, I want to address the older age group that's here tonight. Everybody here tonight, virtually everybody here, if you've been in Pentecost for 25, 30 years or more, you understand Pentecostal traditional values. Some of them are amazing and some of them are ridiculous. I'm just saying. I didn't mean to be that point blank and that honest, but I'm just going to get that out of the way. Let me give you an example of traditional values. And I know people, and some are here tonight, that they will teach and preach traditional values over the Bible. If mama did it by God, that takes the place of Peter. You might as well laugh. But an example of traditional values is starting Sunday morning church somewhere around 9 to 10, 11 o'clock. That is a traditional value. And I'm going to tell you why. The reason is because in the early 1900s, most of the people that attended church were rural farmers. They had to harvest eggs and milk cows. They couldn't get to church earlier than about 10 o'clock. They started at 7 p.m. on Sunday nights. Because the folks had to get home in time to do chores before bedtime. It's a traditional value. (laughs) 
Buddy, there's some Pentecostals that say if we don't start church at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, by God, we're going to split hell wide open. And there ain't a scripture nowhere that teaches to start church on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Y'all on board yet? We have to be open-minded and understand some things. Society and culture back then set the time the church started based on what they could live with. They did. It became a tradition, and it's okay. It's not biblical to do it, but it's not a sin to do it. Amen. There's more some of you men getting that stare. Sunday school is a tradition. It was born in the late 1800s. There are people who wouldn't attend a church that didn't offer Sunday school, including some of you. I had a preacher tell me about 10 years ago, he said, one of these days you'll phase out Sunday school. It's outdated and it's not profitable. I said, well, that's a pretty huge blanket statement. There may be parts of the world where Sunday school is not advantageous at some level or at some point, but right here in the south where we are, I mean, it's, uh, there are several denominations that have helped uh, solidify this value. Even the United Pentecostal Church and other apostolic denominations have embraced Sunday school, and so we do it. It works. It works. Our kids love it. Kids enjoy it. I think we do a good job here with Sunday school. We're doing it right now on Wednesday night. And it's working even on Wednesday night. I hear occasionally that uh, parents want to come home from work tired and exhausted and want to just kind of call in and say we won't be at church Wednesday night, but the kids are jumping up and down saying, no, no, we got to go to church, got to go. And you're like, okay. But it's a tradition. It's not Bible, but it's tradition. And we accept it. Traditional values are things people believe not because it's biblical or scriptural. It's just simply a tradition. All right. For example, there are pastors who teach against men having facial hair. I think it's interesting that we qualify that it's men. However, there may be an exception to that rule here and there. We're not sure. Not going to go there. But to my knowledge, there's no scripture that is explicit or even implicit against it. But I know people, I've heard of people, and I know people that will not tend to church where men have facial hair. We ask our men, and I'm asking all of our men tonight, we're not interested in the Duck Dynasty thing. Uh, keep them well groomed, don't scare kids off with it. You know, that kind of thing. Um, but I just have a hard time uh, teaching that there's something horrible about it. I've asked our platform people not to do that. I've asked our, even our ministry team and so on, and they've agreed. But other than that, it's just strictly pastoral preference. And I made that very clear when I asked them not to do that. It's just, I don't have Bible, it's just pastoral preference, and I would appreciate it, and so on but it's a traditional value. And there were times in our recent history, and this is where the teaching comes from, but there were times in our recent history when facial hair on a man represented rebellion or followed after the pattern of some individual who was less than popular or because 
It represented an undesirable trend. Does anybody remember the hippie movement back in the day? There were men and women rebelling against all kind of stuff back in those days, back in the 60s and 70s. I remember it. But one of the features was that men would go completely unshaven and the beard would go, you know, way down. Our home church had a mighty revival of that. Some of you remember it. And um, I remember walking up to a man one Wednesday night and I said, hey, I'm Glenn Murphy and glad you're here. He said, yeah, I was here last Sunday. I prayed through the Holy Ghost. I said, well, I don't remember. He said, you don't because I've been to the barber shop since you saw me last. His hair was about down to here and his beard was about down to here. And he looked kind of like I do right now with short hair, no beard, none of that. And well, no, I didn't recognize you, man. I mean, <laughs> you look completely different. We've, we got a big laugh out of that. But a lot of these things is traditional values. There's nothing wrong with abiding by traditional values. But we have to understand that traditional values is not a heaven or hell issue. And that's where people have a hard time with traditional values. So even though it's not a biblical commandment, it is at a, it's a time-tested tradition and one that could and should be maintained if it's relevant. And that's what the pastor and the church feels like they need to do. I'm not going to beat anybody up either way over the subject. But a lot of people have been taught traditional values as Bible values and it's caused a lot of confusion when people realize the difference. So most of our traditional values won't send you to hell when disobeyed, but when they are disobeyed, it can sure set your sails in the wrong direction. And that's what we have to understand. And I'm going to make another comment about that in just a few moments. But there are another a number of people that I know that have learned this lesson the hard way. Did you know that in the 1940s and 50s that preachers preached against people playing golf? They did. I can even remember Brother Tenney scolding men at a district conference and camp meeting because they'd go to camp meeting and wouldn't go to the day services. They was out playing golf together somewhere, and he scolded them over that. I remember those days. Not that he believed it was playing a sin, but he, playing it was a sin. He believed they should be in church. But the, the root of that and where that came from was back in those days that to play golf generally meant that you would be hanging out in the rich and worldly country clubs and it was a bad atmosphere and it was a bad influence. I'm going to comment on that principle in just a moment. There are things that were put in me growing up that were not a sin, but by doing them, there was a strong possibility that I would have gone in the wrong direction. I grew up in an era where going to skating rinks and bowling alleys was just, you just didn't do it. The reason is because bad things would happen in the car when the couple was done bowling or skating or what have you, and that's where that teaching came from. It was just trying to protect people from walking into a trap and putting themselves in a very negative uh, position a very negative place. So it's traditional values. Traditional values, a lot of them are based on wisdom. They're based on foresight. And it's not necessarily what you were doing that was wrong, but where it could lead you. And that's what pastors and preachers back then were trying to stand. Uh, they were trying to stand for that principle. I understand it, and I agree with it. And there may be even things that I teach and preach from time to time that's more of a traditional value, but I've seen patterns. And there's just some people 
that can't handle some things maybe like other people can. And I like to try to caution them, and oftentimes I do it on a personal level. I don't think you should be doing that. I don't think you should be going there. I don't think you should be participating because your nature, your personality can't handle it, and it can destroy you. There's someone else that maybe they could, but not everybody can. I'll give you an example. I know people that go to sport games, football games, baseball games, basketball games, and it don't really bother them that well, that, that much. I know other people that have gone and have backslidden over it. So oftentimes it depends on the person. I'm going to be very careful here, but I believe there's things that Pentecostals could do and enjoy life a little bit more if you could keep your head on straight and keep your dumb mouth shut. But people can't do that. They've got to get on Facebook and all the social media stuff and just pour their whole lives out there for everybody to see. Again, I want to, to reiterate that traditional values are often not heaven or hell issues, but they are a safety net. It's a guardrail. It helps keep you in the center, and there's nothing wrong with that, and it's okay. And if you have a weakness and a traditional practicing traditional values will help you stay in the center and keep you in a good relationship with God, then you keep practicing those traditional values. Does that make sense? This is biblical what I'm teaching tonight. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, that therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which we have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Paul is talking about things both written and oral, things that were written down and things that were spoken publicly he was talking about traditions about things that have been passed down and we live in a culture right now where people say well show me that in the bible and there are things that we teach that are oral traditions they're not necessarily heaven or hell issues they're not necessarily written in the bible but it's things that we have have become culturally comfortable with and we see the merit and the wisdom in continuing them it helps sometimes keep people out of trouble. A slab of rock was unearthed that was in ancient Babylon years ago that said, alas, alas, things are not always, are not what they once were. And people have always talked about the way things used to be. That was some 3,000 years ago in ancient Babylon. Some of you may have heard this story, but I'll share it again tonight because it fits. Did you hear about the, the young lady who got married and was cooking a ham and cut off both ends of the ham. She didn't know why she did it. It was a family tradition. You just cut off both ends of the ham and you cooked a ham. So finally she was curious about it and asked her mother. And her mother said, well, I did it and my mother did it. And come to find out, the great-grandmother is the one that started it because her pot was too small to hold the whole ham. So she just cut both ends off of it so it would fit in the pot. It's a traditional value. I mean, maybe a little ham was wasted, but hey, did it hurt anything? No. <laughs> Wasn't necessary. It was just a family tradition. But here's my point with traditional values. Before everybody gets buck wild and, well, we should throw all away traditional values. I'm not saying that. By saying they're not heaven or hell issues doesn't mean they're not necessary. 
Here's the principle. I wish it's going to be on the screen, and I wish you could write it down, take a picture of it, and practice it. You never move a fence until you find out who put it there and why. That's just wise. Everybody get that? And you never put a gate where God put a fence, and you never put a fence where God put a gate. Wisdom. You understand that? That's, that's the principle of traditional values. Now, we stopped having Sunday night service years ago. And I was criticized for it, but the way church was running in Baker back in those days, we just shoved the two services together. We didn't take any less time, but it just saved people from going home and coming back. That was the whole point. And the people that had to come back, uh, a lot of the folks was driving a long distance. You've heard this many times. I found it interesting. The ones that didn't like it was the ones that didn't come back on Sunday night anyway. That's the only criticism we heard of it. But it's not. it was not a biblical thing. But we did what worked for Grace Church. We weren't trying to cut God out of time and, and all of that. We just brought the two services and put them back to back is all we did. But I did a lot of soul searching before we made that move. And then very honestly said, we'll run it for three months and see what happens. If it didn't work, we'd go back to the other way. But again, you never move a fence until you find out who put it there and why. And we need to understand that in all of our principles and all of our morals and all of our conduct, etc. Let me share with you tonight <clears throat> the only reason we don't get married standing in front of a dog catcher wearing red and white polka dots and exchanging rings instead of dead chickens is because of tradition. Tradition established the way we get married to this day. There's people that can go to the justice of the peace and do their vows back and forth and they're married in the sight of God and they're married legally through our government and so on. They're just as married as the couple that spends $25,000, $30,000 on this enormous wedding and serves filet mignon at the reception. They're, neither one is no less married. But it's tradition that we have the weddings that we have today. It's tradition. Not Bible. Tradition. We have traditions that we do and respect whether we understand them or not. The church has oral traditions that are not heaven or hell issues. Did you know that the book of Acts church, the Jewish people, lifted the requirement of circumcision pertaining to Gentile people who were converting but not off of themselves to this day? The Jesus going to the cross and all that, water baptism, it eliminated the requirement of circumcision. And the book of Acts, the, 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 the apostles got together and they had a big knockdown, drag out meeting over it. You can read it around Acts chapter 15 and so on. Peter, James, some of these guys, they were going eye to eye, toe to toe with all this stuff. But they finally decided, okay, for the Gentile people coming in, we won't require them being circumcised. There's a lot I want to say right here, but we'll just keep moving. But they didn't take it off of themselves. It wasn't necessary for circumcision to continue, but it didn't hurt anything. It was okay. 
Y'all understand that? So there's traditions that we continue that's okay. It don't hurt anything, but it may not be necessary. But somebody put a fence in a certain location. They put it there for a reason, and we honor that, and we practice that in some areas. Paul taught the proper relationship between a master and a slave in the New Testament. History says that almost 50% of the world then was in slavery to the other 50% of the world back then. There were people in the church who owned slaves. We do not believe in slavery today in any form. But back then, it was a traditional and cultural problem in the church, and Paul had to deal with it. He understood the tradition of slavery and taught things to make it work, knowing that while it was not the will of God, it would have destroyed so many people's lives to have tried to stop it. There's a whole book in the New Testament written on the subject, written to a slave owner. Traditional values are always a challenge. They're always a challenge. But we must understand why they are there and what will happen if we remove them. Most of our traditional values teach us discipline and submission. Somebody said to humble, to be humble around your superior is duty. To be humble around your peer is courteous. To be humble around your inferior and, and, and noble and is, is to be of, and noble and of high honor. God oftentimes will test our humility and submission just to see what we will do. And that is true. And there's a lot of merit in showing respect for what the old timers did and believed. The Bible said in Acts 15, 19, Wherefore my sentence is, James is saying, that we trouble not them which come, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. James is talking about Gentiles that had turned to God, but was caught between the progression of the church and the traditional values of the old timers. He is saying we are not going to put all these traditional values on our new converts that are a completely different culture than we are. And these old seasoned Pentecostals have a hard time understanding that. And this is a biblical principle. He went on to say in verse 20, But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. He said that we are going to teach them about things that applies to us Jewish people out of respect to the old timers who still believe in Old Testament traditional values. We're going to teach the Gentiles that. Not a heaven or hell issue per se, but we're going to teach them out of respect. Went on to say, for Moses of old time, James said, Moses of years ago hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. They took the ban off circumcision, but he knew if he opened the gate completely on the Gentiles that it would destroy some things with the Jews, and the trade-off wasn't worth it. We're going to respect the old-timers. Moses of old is read. It's traditional values. And then he went on to say in verse 27, We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall... Also tell you the same things by mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you should abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves you shall do well, fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered 
uh, when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. So bottom line, James set a parameter. He set a concept in the church that all these Gentile people coming in, we're going to teach them some traditional values, but not all of them. And everybody was happy. He said, for it seemed good. And he went on to say that some burdens are necessary. He said, some are necessary. And I feel the tension of today. Yes, I do. But I also know what is, what is at stake. Notice he talked about eating blood. I know people who eat rare meat. And I have even seen some who eat raw meat. I saw a young lady one time years ago eat hamburger meat raw. And I, <laughs> like, yeah, I ain't converting to your way of doing things, I can tell you that. But to help things along, you have to bear some things that may or may not be necessary just to keep the big picture of the church where it needs to be. In Acts 18, 18, Paul shaved his head one time to keep peace. And it was the same Paul that wrote, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Again, he did it to bring peace. But notice, grace is a wonderful thing. But when it becomes a disgrace, then we're in trouble. I'm trying to hurry. I need to finish this so we can launch next Wednesday night so your patience is appreciated and I don't have far to go. We have a bureau in our country called Weights and Measures. But have you ever considered that our Bureau of Weights and Measures are not the U.S. Constitution? A foot, 12 inches, is a relative thing. It is. There's parts of the world that don't even measure that way. They measure in meters. It's a relative thing. We're accustomed to that, and we think that's the law, and it's not. You could raise your child to convince him that a foot is 18 inches. And when he's grown, he'll argue with the 12-inch people forever, which one is right and which one's wrong. It's all a relative thing, and we need to understand that. And I don't need to, I don't need to have guardrails to drive on a highway. I don't need it. But I don't want to drive on a highway that doesn't have them. Does everybody understand that? It keeps you in the center. And that's why we have standards in the church. There are some standards in the church that may not be heaven or hell issues, but they are guardrails. They are protectors to keep you from going in some wild-eyed direction, and people who trample them down end up going in some wild-eyed direction, and they end up living in sin. They do, and they know they're doing it. But people oftentimes do not like that parameter. They don't want the rules, as people say to me all the time. It's not a rule per se. It's a guardrail to keep you maybe not getting into quite so much trouble I've yet to see anyone I have yet to see anyone who has taken away traditional values and have their life improve because of it as a matter of fact I know of some who have had their lives go down all the way to drugs alcohol cheating on their spouse immorality etc and their lives end up in shipwreck and ruin I have leadership standards most, essential, most are essential Bible teaching, and some are guardrails. It's a safety net. Jephthah in the Old Testament made a vow that his daughter would be a virgin for life. She didn't have to honor that commitment, but she did it to honor her father and her heritage. The psalmist said in Psalm 16, verse 6, 
The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Lines are there to protect us, not to unnecessarily restrain us. Lines are not offensive. They are protectors. We always ask why. We've always asked why. I've never heard anyone say my life was a wreck until I started drinking or doing drugs or having an affair and then it got better. Lines are in our lives for a purpose. Everything we believe doesn't always make sense, but God has always said and done things that didn't make sense. God planted a beautiful garden for Adam and Eve and put a prohibitive tree right in the middle of it. Why didn't he put the tree on the outside of the garden and put an electric fence around it? Sometimes God doesn't make sense to us. In Deuteronomy 22, it's the chapter of distinction. God said you can't plow with an ox and an ass at the same time, with an ox and a donkey at the same time. He said you can't do that. Men and women can't mix their clothing. You can't mix certain fabrics, he said. If you own a small piece of ground, you can't mix the different kinds of seed you plant in it. We may not understand all this stuff, but it's lines. It's guardrails. It's there for a purpose. It doesn't make sense to us, but to God it was a distinctive mark. But to us, it is a disciplined thing. There are things, and I'm concluding, there's things in the Old Testament that were capital crimes, and there were some things in the Old Testament that were consecration issues. There were about 30 things that were capital crimes in the law of Moses, such as murder and adultery and so on. But there are hundreds of other laws that were consecration issues. They were lines that were put there by God as a guardrail to keep people from going too far one way or another. We don't make capital offenses out of everything, but it's difficult to get people to see it that way. Some things have to be weighed on a merit-by-merit -merit basis. And I've seen a lot of church problems. I've, seen, I've, I've known of and heard of churches that have split because people didn't believe in a line maybe set for one person and a line set for someone else. I will shock you tonight and say that God doesn't always treat everybody exactly the same either. He does in love, he does in grace, mercy, and so on. I don't mean to imply that. But there's things going on in, that have gone on in people's lives that I've never experienced. And maybe there's things that's gone on to mine in my life that you've never experienced. And life isn't always fair. But for whatever God asks of us, he's always fair. And he never, he's promised to never put more on anybody than you can bear. It's just how God works. So I've presented to you tonight in summary as we conclude that we still have traditional values here at Grace Church. And I get fussed at here and there because of it. There's some that we don't necessarily practice anymore. And the old timers have fussed at me about that. I get fussed at from both sides. But sometimes it's necessary for church leadership to take a stand and say we're not going in that direction and we're not going to buy into this thing and we're not going to do that. It's because we are built on a set of core, a set of core values and they can't change. So next Wednesday night I'll tell you why they can't change. We'll go into that and we'll talk about personal values 
and conclude on core values. I've gone long tonight. Um, I don't apologize because there's been many Wednesday nights when you were we were done at 10 after. Not always when I was teaching, but none. It was still Wednesday, and you're 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 done early anyway. So, but anyway, but thank you for your patience. Thank you for your patience tonight, and I hope I've caused you to think and to process. And if you have any questions, feel free to talk to me about it, and I'll be I'll do my best to answer. God bless. You may be dismissed while you're seated. We'll see you Sunday morning. <laughs> Watching some people struggling to get up. Um, we need those recliners that help you, you know, push a button and they.